Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Um, Daryl, great to be able to catch up with you. I think that there's so much obviously in the news right now in terms of supply chain constraints, uh, commodities shortages, um, particularly in the lumber space, uh, let alone on the semiconductor side of life, uh, hitting some of the tech stocks or concerns there. Um, so we wanted to get caught up with you in, in terms of the big picture here. And what was so interesting to me when I was reading your research, I had to double, do a double take. Um, you were writing about a super cycle, a lumber super cycle back in 2010. And here we are 2021. So maybe give us the kind of the top down perspective in terms of what you saw then and obviously how this is playing out. Well, great. And, and nice to see you, Catherine. Nice to be here. Um, well, you know, Coming out of the Great Recession, when we saw housing really, uh, you know, plummet, went down 80% in the U.S. And, you know, uh, the stocks that I cover, obviously, they were just trashed as well. But, you know, through that um, fire, we saw the setting up for a very tight market condition. And it really was three factors that we identified way back then. Uh, and, I'll, you know, we'll be honest, they took longer for these trends to play out. But, you know, we've We've seen them emerge now, and they're you know quite simple. It's the emergence of Asia as a new market, and normalization of U.S. housing demand, and the structural supply changes permanent that are coming out of B.C. with the devastation associated with the mountain pine beetle. And and so if we break those down a little bit, um, when you talk about the normalization of U.S. housing, what do you mean? Well, if you look back over the last fifty years, Catherine, you know we've we've built about one point five million housing starts in the U.S., and you know that even goes back to where uh, population levels were much lower. So that's kind of a normal level of housing. But if you look over the last decade, uh, you know since that great financial crisis, um, you know the housing starts are running far below replacement value. So we we've seen uh, you know underbuilding frankly in, in the in the north american market for a long time and uh, so part of that resurgence in housing that you're seeing right now is is trying to you know catch up from that underbuilding potential hmm. um, you know when we look at some of the the building and the existing home sales data that's going on obviously it's had a huge run essentially since the financial crisis um, with some volatility but uh, you know i i always wonder when will that stop um, it, it doesn't sound like from your perspective that it will because it's been underbuilt, but, but do you have a concern with respect to the housing market in the United States and also, of course, interest rates? No, those are great questions. And um, I think, you know, my first point, we haven't really dug into supply yet, but yeah. to me, uh, supply can't fix this. It will be on the demand side. So your question's a good one. Uh, that's where we should be focusing our attention. Um, I was on a investor call with our home building analyst out of, out of U.S., Buckhorn who is an excellent analyst and was early to identify uh, this resurgence in housing. He's based in Florida and he saw, he was on the ground and he saw this develop, you know, this time last year, which was, I think it caught everyone but surprise. But, you know, he, he identifies some trends that he's seeing right now that really speak, like he's actually using the term super cycle as well to describe the home builder stocks. 
And uh, some of those factors, uh, one of the big ones that, you know, I thought really resonated with me on that call was the relocation trade. So, you know, as a fallout from COVID, I mean, you see structural factors like we talked about, um, for instance, um, like demographics, like, you know, the uh, the biggest cohort in the U.S. is just turning 35 prime home building years. And so you're seeing structural demand from that. But COVID has changed things. And, you know, the ability to work from other places has meant that about 30 to 50 percent of the, the transactions in the U.S. are relocation trades. So think about that, moving from an expensive jurisdiction on the coast to, you know, Texas and places like that. And um, not that price sensitive or interest rate sensitive these you know when you're selling a house and buying twice the house for half as much not so concerned about price right now mm -hmm. well what does that mean though in terms of net net because if there if it's a relocation trade it seems as though obviously the construction that would be going on maybe in the northeast uh, might not be taking place so net net why i guess it's new construction or new build that is the demand side but right. um what do you see though elsewhere no, and it's a good question. Uh, it's just simply a lack of inventory. So uh, there is, you know, Buck has a great chart and his deck shows, you know, for sale inventory at historic lows. And so if you do want that house, um, you know, you you do need to, to, to build it. And, you know, listening to the home builders commentary on the quarter, uh, very interesting discussion around that. Uh, no, there's essentially no spec building going on right now. Like historically for a home builder, they will you know, entitle land and get those subdivisions going and they're not sold, it's, it's spec housing. That's not happening right now. And uh, so, you know, a very healthy building market. If anything, you're starting to see a bit of a slowdown in housing recently, simply for lack of supplies. You know, it's hard to get the lumber, it's hard to get the OSB and it's wider than that, appliances. Uh, everything seems to be in shortage. The entire supply chain seems to be constrained. So you know, you are seeing builders purposely slow down a bit right now just to catch up. Mm -hmm. Right. So we are seeing a slowdown in, in so many respective areas. Um, and, and people are attributing that to the fact that we couldn't see appliances being built during COVID-19. You're also seeing people perhaps double order. Um, so will that be transitory? Um, you know, I, I think for different industries are different. And, you know, this industry that we're talking about right now, building materials, um, you know, there is no pent up supply uh, available. Um, you can imagine, you know, a normal, well, back in 2010, <clears throat> excuse me, when we published that piece, you know, we were thinking of maybe prices might get to $500. Wouldn't that be amazing? And, you know, you're seeing uh, spot prices today of three times that or better. And um, so you can imagine if, if you have a sawmill today in the last year, uh, look, you're cranking out just as much lumber as possible. So it's not like there's available supply. Um, in Canada, we harvest sustainably uh, by law. And so there's no ability to increase production out of Western Canada or, or back East. And, um, you know, if anything, we're probably gonna see more reductions to the timber harvesting land base going forward and further reductions, especially in Western Canada. Uh, so you're really left with the U.S. South, and uh, there's a lot of logs there, but it's kind of tricky building a greenfield sawmill, believe it or not. Hmm. Well, and why is that? Well, um, there are constraints in the specialty equipment required to put in a new mill. So, you know, you're talking at least two years to get that equipment manufactured, delivered, assembled, and get it up and running. Um, so that's a constraint. The other two big ones, um, labor, 
you know, these specialty, you know, sawmills aren't as old school as they used to be. There's a lot of technology, they're robots and computers, takes um, uh, a lot of training and, and um, you know, the available workforce is constrained. And these are typically going into small uh, populations in, in the US South and uh, very, very difficult to get labor. And even now, the turnover, you know, with some of the established facilities, there is still 30% year-on-year turnover at those facilities. Why? Um, that, that, that seems like an easy, not easy, but management should be able to rectify that a little bit, no? Well, they're not great jobs. They don't pay a lot. They're typically outside. It's 100 degrees and 100% humidity. And, um, you know, they pay kind of like the same as a Walmart greeter. So difficult to attract and retain uh, employees in that, in that venue. Um, the last one is, um, is uh, wood chips. So when you saw up a log, half is lumber. The other half is, is wood chips and sawdust, which will typically go into pulp mills. And that's a very important uh, revenue component for a sawmill over the cycle. It's around 15% of profitability. And you need two things, freight logical and credit worthy counterparties. And, you know, there's no new pulp mills going in anywhere in the Northern hemisphere. So, um, that's another constraint. Those three things are really limiting the greenfield replication. And so when we think about then the supply side that you you looked at back in, in 2010, um, what exactly is, is going on in terms of why we are so constrained? Well, the, the big one was the mountain pine beetle. So, you know, back in the, around the year 2000, the mountain pine beetle swept across British Columbia. It killed 70% of the mature pine trees, which is about 40% of the harvest. So these trees were killed and um, now they could still be used uh, to make lumber, um, but you know, every year they dry out and uh, get you know, degrade over time. No one was sure exactly what the shelf life would be. And you know, that's one of the reasons why it took that long for the supply crunch to hit uh, because the companies are actually fantastically innovative and you know, they put in a lot of technology to, to be able to salvage this dead pine. And so at one point, you know, 90% of the logs harvested in British Columbia were dead pine. And, and really, if you think about the last 20 years, uh, it's been a large salvage operation in BC trying to get this dead pine out while we still could. And again, the companies did a great job and, you know, it lasted longer than they could. But beginning in 2017, 2018, the chief foresters start reducing the harvest levels around 30%. Uh, you saw a period where there was overcompetition for these scarce logs. And 2019 hit the first half and prices were low, log costs were high. And that was really what happened. You saw 20% of BC shut their sawmills permanently. And uh, you know that really hit the market in the back half of 2019. And that's when housing started perking up. So you actually saw prices start moving up in 2020, you know, ahead of COVID and ahead of all this. And so there was already that structural tightness in the market. And um, like I said, there's not, um, there's not an ability now to, to crank up production. We simply don't have the wood fiber. We don't have the timber. And so what, what's the tipping point then, I wonder, in terms of the, the, the price for, for lumber, be, really for the builders and construction? Well, you know, I, that's a neat thing about lumber. Demand is almost perfectly inelastic. So you've seen a lot of news reports about the cost of a home going up by, you know, 20, 30, $35,000. Um, However, it's still not a huge component in the home. Uh, you know, if you're, a, if you're a builder and you're building a subdivision in Texas and you have framing crews on the ground, you'll literally pay anything for that, 
rail car block. Wow. And mm-hmm. so demand is very inelastic from that point of view. And then the other interesting component here is um, home builders have been able to pass off these costs. Um, so Buckhorn again was talking about one home builder we talked to that were able to increase prices by 10% this quarter alone, mm-hmm. which you know far outstrips um, the inflation they're seeing on the input side. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think builder margins are strong. Um, you know, affordability uh, for the U.S., you still look at things like wage growth has been good and, and other stimulus packages. So, you know, from a demand point of view, um, well, and one last thing, uh, substitutes. I mean, you know, the, the, we did hear talk over the past years about steel studs and things like that, but it's not like steel prices are low either. So, uh, you know, there's not really great affordable substitutes either. So if you want a house, uh, you're going to have to chin up and pay these prices. When we think though as well, you know, I, th- I guess one of the other aspects that got talked so much about in the news, and I, I'm not sure where it fits into the whole overall macro picture and, and your, um, you know, looming or what we're in, maybe a super cycle for, for lumber, but the tariffs. I mean, if we go back to President Trump slapping on tariffs on Canadian lumber, how does that factor into the tightness? Well, I, um, I guess my first comment, you know, it wasn't just President Trump. We've been fighting this battle for 40 years. My first job was an analyst at the, at the Forest Service, you know, fighting the lumber wars, as we called them at the time. And so this has been going on, well, 40 years at least. So it's an ongoing battle. And um, so the most recent round, I think it, it did factor in. If you look at those closures that we saw in, in British Columbia in 2019, I mean, we had low lumber prices we had high log costs, and then we had a 23% tariff on top of it. So it was definitely a factor that led to those permanent mill shuts, which leads to the shortages that we're experiencing today. Hmm. Uh, there's no question about that. But you know, relaxing those tariffs now will not mean that those mills are coming back. You know, It's not going to alleviate uh, the tightness we see today. You know, That's a timber supply issue primarily. Tariffs contributed to the closure, but removing them is not gonna bring them back. And, and we're, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, you are seeing talk today of, you know, pressure uh, from home builders and associations. Uh, the other thing I'd say is that, um, you know, the, the lumber lobby in the U.S. is incredibly strong. It's primarily timberland owners and, um, and some sawmills, and it's an incredibly strong lobby. Um, historically, the National Association of Home Builders and others have not been an effective counterparty. So, now we'll see what $1,500 lumber brings, whether they will, will be, but um, I don't really see, there's, there's certainly no talks going on right now in negotiations. Mm-hmm. And so w- what is it though that the US builders are advocating for as it relates to the Canadian uh, lumber industry? And I'm asking that in the sense that um, how much supply does the United States have? How, how badly do they need or want Canadian lumber? Does that satisfy some of their supply side constraints? So historically, the US lumber industry could make up about two thirds of demand. And so the US has always been required to import about a third. And guess what? Canada's long about a third. So, you know, it's been this kind of natural trade balance uh, that's fit together very well. Um, The emergence of the Asian market, in particular China, has uh, throw in another level of demand. And that's something we wrote about, about back in 2010. And, and especially with the dead pine, I mean, um, the uh, Chinese were using this for non-structural purposes. So some of that 
lower quality wood that we were making from salvaging the dead pine found a ready home in China. So, but that's new, right? So that, that's another source of incremental demand that kind of upsets the balance from in North America as well. Understood. So, so when you step back then and you think about um, investing in whether it's building material stocks, home builders, and of course, um, some of the, uh, some of the lumber companies. Um, what's your big picture view these days in terms of the kind of risk reward we might be able to achieve? It's a really interesting time. Um, historically, the stocks I cover were 85% correlated with the spot price of lumber. And you know, if you could figure out where lumber's going, you figure out where these stocks are going. That relationship broke down over the past 12 months. And I, I think it's a function of just how surprising uh, the rally was. And, you know, the stocks were absolutely crushed in when the lockdown started a year ago. And um, and then, you know, the price of lumber suddenly gapped up and it, you know, it quickly went, you know, through a, a, a strong market to an insanely strong market. You know, the previous high in lumber was $650 in June of 2018. And that rally only lasted maybe six weeks. You know, we're into nine months of well over $1,000 lumber now. And, you know, you know, from your trading days that that chart was quite intimidating uh, for a new buyer. And a lot of people thought they just missed the trade. And, you know, the stocks even today, um, when you take into account the free cash flow that they're throwing off, you know, they're pricing in like a $450, $500 lumber price. That's it. And the spot price has tripled that. Hmm. And so on one side, I see, you know, tremendous value here, you know, like, um, um, Interfor just announced a special dividend, which was $130 million. So one month's free cash flow, you know, a 6% yield. I know it's, it's insane. Like uh, free cash flow yields today will be 50, 60%, 5 not 15, 5 And so I see that on one hand, the stocks is tremendously undervalued from a fundamental point of view. Um, the trick shot here though is, you know, at some point, inventories are going to catch up and the boil is going to come off and these white hot prices are going to normalize. And, you know, historically, even if they normalize to something incredible, you know, the stocks might be pricing in 500, but say they normalize to 850 or 900, the stocks will be under pressure under that adjustment. So uh, that's the trick shot here. Incredible value, incredible free cash flow, uh, balanced by, you know, a, a commodity going the wrong way and the stocks just reacting poorly to a commodity trade. You know, when we think about the valuation of the stocks, what you've kind of described in terms of the length of time it gets to, it takes to have more supply, you know, it's years, obviously, but what will the market do with these stocks in terms of uh, pulling forward that, that effect, the forward discounting mechanism of markets? How do they look at uh, supply coming back on from a timing perspective? So you're you're 100 right. It's you know before we see material supply come on, it, it will be years. And um, although like the other factor here is you know the supply chain is long, and you know the reason we're seeing such really really high prices is the fact that that supply chain just hasn't had ability to catch up. And so you know you see the pro dealers and some of the other end users. Um, you know, do you want to take a position today at $1,500 lumber and build big supply? No, it's, it's a tough one, right? And so I think, uh, you know, seasonally um, demand tends to weaken. And so we, we think prices stay strong through the third quarter. The fourth quarter, you know, just from a actual 
building activity, it's typically 25 to 30% lower. You know, that's when I think we could see, you know, that that inventory catch up. And so maybe prices go from 1500 to something lower. And I don't know, maybe it's $800. But you know, $800 lumber uh, is fantastic. Like the return on capital employed would be fantastic. So you know, I, I, I think, you know, that six to $800 range for lumber is something we're going to see for the next few years. And I think once that range is established, that's when the market's going to buy into these stocks and really start pricing in that, that higher level. So, mm-hmm. so not right now, then don't necessarily step in right now, if you haven't already. Well, uh, you know, uh, look at a stock like Interfor. Interfor reported uh, in a normal year for Interfor, they'll do 250 million EBITDA in one year. Uh, last quarter, they did 392 million, almost 400 million in one quarter. Wow. Uh, prices are up 30%. If I look at April and price hasn't gone down, prices are sold and these companies are selling into July now. Uh, so if I just look at April and multiply that by three, Interfor could have a six in front of it for the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, again, a normal year is 250. So uh, I certainly wouldn't be selling ahead of this. I, mm-hmm. I think then that free cash flow. And so, you know, the way I think I'd played, I, I would keep my positions here. I wouldn't try to get cute. Um, but on a pullback, uh, you know, if the price does come down a bit in, you know, in, in the fall, you know, I, I'd load up again because I, I don't think this is over. Not until demand starts to falter when we see no signs of that. Right. Um, where are the institutional institutional guys on this? Um, you know, for our viewers to understand that that's who in, in many ways you, you service the, the big money managers, hedge funds, et cetera, in terms of your research and your calls. Um, have they been participating in this trade? I mean, obviously, some have. Uh, but where, where do they stand these days? Yeah, it's a great question, because, uh, again, historically, you know, the fact that the spot price and the stocks are so heavily correlated was exactly that fund flow that you're seeing from the the big institutional managers and um you know typically what happens is the value players will get in early and um there will be a handoff at some point to uh generalist investors or even some of the quicker money players that handoff has kind of been uh interrupted and again i think it was just the the nature of sentiment being so poor and then just how quickly, you know, the, the commodities and stocks reacted. It's been a tough chart to buy. So mm-hmm. we, we aren't seeing the same participation as we would in a typical cycle. Um, one thing that is interesting is, um, you know, West Fraser acquired Norboard in the first quarter. So the largest lumber manufacturer bought the largest structural panel producer. And uh, in associate with that, they have a New York Stock Exchange listing now that became active in the first quarter. Um, many, many of my calls now are coming from U.S. investors. And uh, I think it's really healthy for the industry because, um, you know, a stock like West Fraser now, um, all three of their commodities are at or near record levels. And the amount of, again, earnings power for this company. And, you know, I'll I'll talk to a U.S. investor and they'll say, really, 15% free cash flow yield. That's fantastic. I'm like, no. 50, 50. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just don't see those kind of opportunities every day in the U.S. where the markets, you know, far more liquid and, uh, and efficient. So, um, you know, that's West Fraser is on our analyst top picks. And, uh, you know, that's a key reason why I think some of this um, incremental fund flows are going to lead to, uh, I think, uh, better equity valuations. 
And um, when we take a look at the names that you do cover, you know, you've talked about Interfor as well as Buster Fraser. Those sound like so they're two of your top picks. Um, what, what what else should we be thinking about? Well, another stock I, I really like is uh, Mercer International. It's a it's a bit off the, you know, it's, it's not as well known as the others. So they're primarily a, a pulp producer. They have assets in Canada and in uh, Western Europe. And, uh, but they, they, uh, they bought a sawmill a few years back. It's now the largest sawmill in the world. It's in Germany. And they're also producing very good returns, uh, not just in pulp, but also in lumber now. And, you know, the other factor here, which I think the market's just waking up to is just how ESG friendly these stocks are. And Mercer is a great example. They, they went from 60th percentile with um, MSCI and their uh, risk ratings to 20th this year. Hmm. And, you know, the reality is, uh, you know, lumber in a home is, is carbon sequestered for as long as that home stands. And, you know, it's 75% less carbon in a wood building compared to concrete and steel. And not only that, their, their pulp uh, operations produce power, which is supplanting coal. So you got green energy, renewable power from pulp mills and cogen facilities that is supplanting coal. So to me, that's a really unsold story uh, for this entire sector. And, and Mercer is an example of that, but Interfor just came out with a sustainability report, brand new off the shelf. And uh, hmm. I think that's gonna be a really interesting for investors as they discover these, especially those ESG funds that are all the rage these days. Well, and that's a great point because, you know, they are all the rage, the ESG funds. And I often sit back and I say, well, how many companies are you really able to invest in? Um, you know, you really have to understand um, those details and, and where the company's going. So to your point, I mean, if they're going to be, they're on the hunt. And I, I think that it is actually really hard to find companies that, that can go into some of those funds. Yeah. And, the, and the, the, the industry hasn't done a great job of telling its story, but that's changing. And, you know, by, you know, they're, they're hiring sustainability directors and getting these reports out and, and really not doing anything different than they've done for the last 30 years. But um, you know, it just happens that the business is inherently sustainable in its in its nature. So uh, it's a good story to get out. Mm -hmm. And just um, I'm curious. I'll look it up. But just for years, Mercer International. Where where is that trade? What's the ticker? Uh, Merc on the Nasdaq. Oh, okay, got it. Um, and you mentioned something earlier at the top, which I thought was really interesting. You said that the harvesting in Canada is sustainable harvesting. So in other words, you can't increase supply. Um, quickly is what I'm hearing from you. Is that accurate? And how does that compare to the United States? Um, it, it's quite a bit different. Yeah, and it is accurate. So in Canada and BC by law, we must plant two trees for every tree that is harvested and less than 1% of the timber harvesting land base is harvested each year. It's a, it's a fantastic environmental story in British Columbia. And I'm, you know, I'm proud to be out of BC and I'm, I'm proud to be associated with this industry. Um, and it does take a long time to grow a saw log. I would, you know, Canfor is one of our other big picks. And I was, you know, they have a big presence. About 50% of their assets are in BC and they're very active in this area. And it, you know, they'll confirm that, that it takes a long time to grow a saw log in BC. It's very different than the South. Um, you know, when the, when the financial crisis hit, uh, harvesting stopped for a few years. It didn't stop, but definitely severely curtailed. And it only takes 20 to 25 years to grow a saw log in the South. And um, so it's a very different picture down there. We have uh, really a glut of trees. And it's interesting because the large timber reeds, like a warehouser or, or a potlatch or rainier, 
they're not benefiting to the same amount as the lumber companies because log costs are still pretty flat in the U.S. South. And it's because there's just so much uh, availability of, of, of logs. And it's really just supply demand there. So, you know, it's a huge windfall for sawmills because their input costs are not going up. And, you know, again, Canfor, Interfor, uh, West Fraser all have material holdings uh, of, of in the U.S. South. And it's a fantastic place to be. Lumber prices high, input costs low. You know, it's fat margins for them. Okay. And, and Daryl, just to kind of wrap it up here, um, you were writing, as we talked about, about a, uh, a super cycle in lumber back in 2010. Obviously, it took a little bit of time to, to catch up um, to actually see that come to fruition. What are you thinking about as, um, as you think about the length of the super cycle? Well, you know, we, we talked about the supply side. Um, there will be incremental production coming out of the U.S. South. Um, but mills there are pretty small, you know, uh, it's only 250 million. Um, I think as an offset over the next five years, we're going to see less lumber production out of BC and Alberta, you know, and it could be as much as 2 billion board feet. So, you know, that's eight to 10 U.S. South greenfields to just keep things where they are today in terms of, you know, the supply demand balance. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit cynical on supply being able to increase to the point to solve this problem. Uh, I think it's really going to be a demand. And I, I, I look at, you know, things like affordability, you know, you know if we quickly go to a 4% uh, 30-year fixed rate mortgage, combined with some of the price inflation we've seen, especially for, you know, starter homes, you know, that's probably what what brings this cycle to, um, to more of a pause here. And so there's no signs of that. We'll see housing start data came out on, I think it's Thursday this week. Um, you know, every indication I see is that, you know, that market remains really, really hot. But to me, that's what I'm going to watch to see, you know, where, where there could be a, a more durable balance here. Understood. Okay, Daryl, great to see you and get caught up with you and your insight and views as always. So thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Great to see you as well. Thanks so much. We'll speak to you soon.